With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. Hello, America. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you don't have Consumer Cellular yet, now is the perfect time to switch and save. For a limited time, new customers can get wireless service for as low as $15 a month for your first year. Yep, the same exact nationwide coverage as the leading carriers for $15 a month for an entire year. What are you waiting for? Call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com and use code RADIO15. See ConsumerCellular.com slash FIRSTYEAR15 for promotional details. Everybody, it's your almost a perfect game with my strikes, having Bruiser Holden McNeely. But ah, every time I have to, I I, I roll that ball down the lane in Wee Sports Bowling. I, it, 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 one of those balls hit the gutter. Hey, it's me, your fusion jazz, smooth, easy listening unstoppable music track <laughs> bruiser jake and ooh, ooh, it's the best-selling nintendo game Ooh, it's the best-selling single platform game Ooh, if you have a pulse and enjoy video games you had no choice but to touch this video game absolutely it's we sports. sports and to tell the story of we sports is also really to tell the story of the launch of the wii which is one of the most memorable console launches of all time for for me personally. I just remember how this thing came out of the gate, swept the world, swept swept the world in a time when like everybody turned their back on Nintendo in in a huge way. It had of course the GameCube had some very strong games. Any Smash Melee player to this day will will tell me I'm an idiot for saying that we turned our back on the GameCube, but I think a lot of people largely did in the gaming world and wanted more power. This was back when graphics were king, and it was all about how how uh, lifelike and real you could make things look. And Nintendo said, nah, dog, we want to make it so that your grandma wants to play with you. We want to make it so a drunk Aunt Judy wants to fucking swing a baseball bat. That's what we're, that's the market we're going after. You and know your grandpa... F- Fort for, Fortense, Grandpa Fortense. He fought in the he fought in the wars. Weird he, name, yeah. He overcame his racism and now has three <laughs> black friends. He's lived a hell of a life and he's getting on in years. These are the twilight of Grandpa Fortense. And you know what he wants to do? What? He wants to swing a little remote control and pretend he's golfing with a little bobblehead man. And Grandpa Fortense is a better gamer than you. I just love the Wii and I love Wii Sports. My I, and and especially because it finally it finally bridged the gap between gamers and non-gamers alike and made a video. I think I, I my mind was blown one of the first times I ever played Wii Sports. I went to my buddy Cena's place. Shout out to Fraudsters, by the way, on the last Hell podcast of a network. Podcast. Hell of a podcast. I went to Cena's place. Cena was always kind of up on the new tech. Like, he had the iPhone before I feel like other people did. He got into virtual reality a lot, largely before a lot of other people did. And I remember going to his place for a party 
where we're all drinking, we're all, I mean, this everyone's in their 20s. I go to this party and lo and behold, a bunch of people are joyously playing a video game in the middle of the room at this party and no, the other people didn't think this was insanely alienating to do. In fact, everybody wanted to play. No matter whether they'd played games before or not, everybody was taking a turn, rolling that bowling ball down the lane, hitting that tennis racket, and just having a blast. And I thought, wow, I can't believe this is finally like not just a thing uh, that I have to feel nerdy, no longer have to feel nerdy about loving video games, but it's something that like everybody wants to get down on for the first time, I feel like ever in my lifetime, you know? Uh, I owned a Wii for a very long time, up until like the 2010s. Uh, it was the only full-size video game console in my shitty Brooklyn apartment where I shared with uh, three other adult men. And it was always, it was a social hub. Uh, it was a way to stream Netflix. It was, uh, you know, just chilling out, playing either Rhythm Heaven or Wii Sports or anything else. Like, it served its purpose, and it was this delightful uh, kind of almost less of a video game machine, but more of like... A gadget, more of a home appliance than like anything else before it or since. And it's kind of, it kind of like at the exact time, yeah, where Xbox 360, PS3, uh, you know, just uh, Uncharted versus Gears of War, people at each other's throats debating graphical power, pushing the limits, video game budgets getting higher and higher, the HD era in full display, and just off in this corner, completely separate. Full Blue Ocean strategy is the Wii in a way that completely sidestepped all of that drama, that it sidestepped the entire culture. And it was kind of this amazing thing. And honest to God, like, I miss that era. I miss my Nintendo yeah. DS. I miss that, like, Reggie Fils and me, Satoru Iwata era of Nintendo. There was just a pure joy to the experience of getting to play with a Wii, especially for the first time. Uh, there was such, such a wonder in it. It was just, it's so funny now. And you know, I've been thinking about it a lot now because I just got a VR headset and I'm using the motion controls attached to that. And I'm just thinking to myself like, wow, look how far we've A, come from the Wii, but also like, would this even exist as the way that it does without it? I mean, for the first time ever, and yeah, you had like the light gun back in the original NES days. But you never had this thing where you picked it up and you just felt like you were immediately, it, it was just perfectly picking up on what you were doing uh, outside of the game physically, perfectly putting it into the game in a way that just made you be like, wow, I'm actually doing the thing myself. And again, this is like so commonplace now, but this really sparked a whole era of gaming that in a lot of ways was dumb with like the connect and stuff like that. But in other ways... <laughs> I mean, really brought us to where we are with VR, brought us to, with motion controls, brought us to where we are in all these other ways. I mean, obviously the Switch as well. And it's kind of interesting to see some of the DNA of the Switch and it's in the early iterations of design concepts for the Wii, which we'll get into. But just just such a cool move, especially in a, at a time when I think, I don't know about you, but I had a feeling Nintendo was going to go the way of Sega and stop oh. making uh, consoles altogether because of what PlayStation or what Microsoft and Sony were doing with the PlayStation and the Xbox. I mean, I guess we got to get into it, but I guess the thing I want to say is, especially about Wii Sports, there's like this curve to the Wii Sports experience where for people like us, 
you kind of like picked it up out of the blue. You played it a little bit. You're like, wow, I swing my arm and the tennis boy that I made to my that looks like me swings a little tennis ball. Like, this is amazing. This is fantastic. And what a then fun you, gimmick. And then, yeah. Then you play a little bit. You realize you don't have to do the full swing. You kind of lean back on the couch. You kind of just waggle your wrist. And you kind of feel like, oh, wait, is this kind of shallow? Whatever. And then you kind of forget about it. The novelty wears off. But for a specific population, and we're a little bit older, for the generation where the Wii was like their first or second console, where they had nothing else to do on a rainy day, but actually like sit there and master these sports, yeah. it became an obsession. It had a ton of depth. So much more depth than you think. And it all kind of like the way that the illusion phase and the real game begins is its own unique culture that like kind of, I feel like gives Wii Sports this way, its popularity was so universal, but that deep core is like a select brotherhood that due to the distribution of the Wii is still tens of millions of people. And here's the other thing on top of that. I talked about going to a party with all like people in their 20s and everybody's drinking beers and enjoying the Wii. But also how many families came together over the Wii that, that you know, when, when board game night has become like an old, uh, you know, kind of uh, rusty tradition. And yet this this console came out and I think really brought all ages together as well. And, uh, you know, get togethers of that nature also became a lot more entertaining for a lot of people who generally hate those kinds of gatherings because we're all playing these fucking fun games together. And just how cool that is that you could finally comfortably hand this thing, which is shaped like a remote control for a reason because dad knows what a remote control looks like and feels like. And he's used to that in his hands. Just hand that over and be like, look, this is how you do the thing. And then watching these older people who, I mean, I've gone through it. I remember my dad came upstairs to try the video games exactly one time. He sat down. I handed him the controller. I put on Quack Shot for the Sega Genesis. <laughs> he played it for about five minutes and said, uh, it essentially said something along the lines of, this sucks. And went back downstairs and never returned because it's so alienating for the older generation to even play like a simple platformer like that. Whereas you could hand him this Wii remote and he and immediately he's enjoying himself playing a sport that he played when he was a kid and all throughout his life. Everyone knows how fucking bowling works. Right. And and just how fun that is and how how great that is. Also, a couple couple other memories is the craze over obtaining a Wii. I think more than any other mm. console, it's kind of reminding me of like the PS5 a little bit right now, but like not even close to how crazy the fight to get a Wii was, how special it was if you knew somebody who had one for a certain window of time. Because the and, fight yeah. wasn't online. Like, yeah, a bunch of bots and a bunch of bidding is all happening yeah. on the digital war front. No, it was show up at the store And at physically dawn. punch a mom. <laughs> punch yeah. a mother of three to secure your waggle physics. Uh, shout outs to my buddy Tim Dean, who I, I have a very... Uh, very clear memory of him going to said store and waiting in line for forever and finally getting the last Wii U of the store, but his credit card wasn't going through and he had to call his bank. And while on the phone with his bank to sort out the credit card issue, someone, someone swooped, swooped in. in and got it and he was so mad. 
And I would be too. It was such a fight. And he was one of the first pe people I feel like who had one. It was such a it was such a holy thing if you were able to get a Wii during a certain window of time. And then, of course, also the memories of all those busted TVs. The first time ever you had this weird video game issue where people were swinging their arms uh, the with a controller thing. in their hand and it flying out of their hand and destroying a television. The first thing you see when you start up Wii Sports is a big infographic with that little Wii Waggle guy in full silhouette with this like zone of destruction around him with just deep implorations. Please use this strap for the love of God. <laughs> we don't want to get sued. You could kill a child. Please think of your family. Wear the strap. Especially because this is, you brought this up, I think in our stu uh, study session, but this is also the advent of flat screen, Easily crackable <laughs> yeah. TVs. No longer did you have these like thick glass, you know, type you'd think, televisions. You'd think the glass would be more destructive, but no, man. Those CRT monitors are under a vacuum. That glass is like an inch thick. A Trinitron could take a bullet. Your fucking, <laughs> you know, uh, Philips LCD flat plus with the built in speakers, man, made a fucking cardboard and whispers. It was just begging to get cracked. Do yourself a favor. There's plenty of them on YouTube. Look up compilations of people fucking up their TVs <laughs> with a Wii remote. It is such a joy and a pleasure. We'll take you back in time. Jake, I am quite thrilled. I feel like you kind of had to talk me into this episode and uh, doing this episode concept. And I'm absolutely delighted to have gotten to do this research this week because every element of it is fascinating. And every element of it, I think, tells the story of... Nintendo as a company and tells the the story of their philosophy and exactly how they roll and I think that it, Nintendo as a company is absolutely fascinating. It's so funny too because they can be such dinosaurs when it comes to like digital rights, things like that, but they are so at the same time innovative and the ones that are trying to do the newest coolest thing with hardware and software and this is definitely the story of that. It's the Wii and the DS, respectively, were almost a return to form, whereas the N64 and the GameCube was them kind of getting lost in the sauce of trying to keep up with the latest tech and kind of mm -hmm. court the Western audiences that was, you know, just hungry for this innovative new technology, when everything from the NES to the Game & Watch was just taking all of these, like, consumer electronic parts and, like, just making them into games when people weren't using it that way. Uh, a Game & Watch is just a calculator where the instead of doing math, the circuitry just lights up the little LCD panel to play a game. The NES was a micro you know, a microchip that was used in home computers that was like already on its way out that they just decided to make into a game system. And a controller that was incredibly simple in its design, just two... Uh, major face buttons with the B and the A button, just that one D-pad. And again, that was to get dad playing along with the kids. And so... And mom, and whoever. With the DS and the Wii, they t finally just realized that, like, we can't win. We're not going to make a profit, and we're not going to out-compete uh, Microsoft, which has all this PC uh, infrastructure, or Sony, which would for the PS2 and the PS3, just invented gonzo new processor architectures for the fuck of it in, yeah. wa in ways that even it's like dedicated first party developers wouldn't be able to pro uh, properly program for. And so they were just like, oh, hey, 
you know, pocket PCs, PDAs, uh, the burgeoning smartphone market has made all these finicky little sensors more affordable. We'll just buy those because they're not that expensive and people will use it in ways that they, you know, for games. It's just it's just taking it's for all the revel, you know, project revolution uh, for all the big E3 hype quotes about how, like, we're changing how you play forever. It really was just like, oh, all these computer parts, all these electronic components are cheaper than they used to be. We're going to arrange them in a novel way. Yeah, and also I love the, the the conversations where they're like, we can't just keep adding buttons to the controller. We've got to do something oh. different. It's, and then doing the opposite of that, sub- subtracting it, paring it down to just these very simple concepts and designs was so much smarter than just like, I, I just, and, and you think about that GameCube controller, just how out of hand the buttons got by that point. It's like, we can't just add it like a spinny thing to the back of it or something. We've got to fucking figure this out. And they did. And so here we go. Yeah, that. so we've got um, uh, 2001, the Nintendo GameCube is released. Its competitors are the Sega Dreamcast, Sony's PlayStation 2, and Microsoft's Xbox. And there's just so many power players in the game. Nintendo really needs to pivot and figure out how they can look beyond pure power in consoles to draw in customers. Uh, famous cave dweller Shigeru Miyamoto said... How dare you? The consensus was that uh, power isn't everything for a console. Too many powerful consoles can't exist. It's like having only ferocious dinosaurs. They might fight and hasten their own extinction. And also, BTW, Holden and Jake should really do a Snorks episode. All right, got to go back to my (laughs) cave. That's a lie. That's a lie. You are putting words in famous Japanese video game impresario Shigeru Miyamoto's mouth, and I will sue you for defamation of Japanese guy, which is a real thing you can sue people for. That half of that might have been a lie, but this is the truth. They started working with Gyration Inc., which is oh, a firm. Oh, okay. All right. All okay. Right. We're going to know. We're getting, right. getting spicy, spicy now. In 1989, a California man named Tom Quinn had an idea. What if he took his true love, which was aeronautics and the uh, sport of flight, and translated the seemingly complicated and, uh, you know, Uh, overwhelming control schemes of a modern plane and reduced it to a simple, easy-to-understand motion control technology with gyroscopes at its core. Why, even a layman would be able to experience the thrill of flight using gyrations patented technology. Unfortunately, no plane manufacturer wanted to take a risk on this crazy-ass idea <laughs> because it involved having civilians move their hands around and controlling airplanes. <laughs> so, Gyration Inc. had to think fast, and what they came up with was the Air Mouse, which was uh, a computer mouse, but instead of putting it on the table and moving it easily, it used built-in gyroscopes and accelerometers to move the computer cursor while you held it like a weirdo. <laughs> this, again, was not the best thing. It had its own, like, some uses, especially with uh, advanced, uh, pre- if you had to give a presentation, having an air mouse was kind of all right. But all they had was this motion cursor mover thing with a wireless uh, communication standard. That's when he realized a video game company could probably use it, something like this. So he took it to the best person he knew to develop video games, Steve Ballmer of Microsoft, who you might know from those crazy-ass videos from the 90s where he's sweating bullets and going, developers, 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 developers! (laughs) 
Well, let me tell you, Steve Ballmer fucking loves Tom Quinn's idea. He is all about gyration motion controls. He is like, my dude, we're going to do this. We're going to make so much fucking money. I love this. I'm Steve Ballmer. It's the 90s. Everything's going to be great forever for Microsoft. Ballmer then takes the idea to Microsoft's board of directors and technology group, and they laugh Quinn out of the room. Yes, indeed. But not to be deterred, Tom Quinn, our hero of this story, says, all right, I'll take it to another big Japanese developer, one with a legendary history of delighting people with their innovative electronics, Sony. He walks right up to Ken Kutaragi, the grandfather of the PlayStation brand, and is like, let me tell you about my cool thing. You wiggle your thing, and then it shows up on the screen. The hand wiggles, the thing wiggles. This is the future. Ken Kutaragi is said to have fallen asleep halfway through his presentation. (laughs) And then, at some point, he just interrupts him and says, listen, can you do this for 50 cents? To which Quinn said that was impossible, so Ken Kutaragi told him to get his fat California ass out of Japan. (laughs) Undeterred again, Nintendo agreed to meet with Quinn. He gave a presentation for 20 minutes, and afterwards, the executives deliberated on his presentation. Nintendo offered to license the technology, and they loved the idea so much, they purchased a stake in Gyration Inc. This was in 2001. The Wii did not happen until 2006. Also... Gyration Inc.'s technology used gyroscopic motion detection, which is way more, uh, it's way better at detecting like the pitch and the yaw and the kind of like, uh, imagine the, how do I, how do I, how do I do this correctly? Uh, less so than the linear motion of where the controller is being wiggled. It's way more accurate at detecting how the controller is being held. Uh, so number one, first thing you got to know is, Nintendo did not end up using this technology in the initial version of the Wii. They used accelerometer-based positioning. But what Gyration Inc. did have was uh, literally the two patents about um, motion controls. The actual official dibs on the idea of I move my hand while holding something and a thing on screen moves in the same direction. So... They figured, might as well lock this down just in case. <laughs> and that's the last we'll hear of Gyration, except uh, also in their failed uh, version of the Wiimote, which looks hilariously bad. So why did, did they take up Gyration on their offer? I have a quote from General Manager Ginyo Takeda on this. I think it qu- pretty much sums it up. When developing a games console, a human-machine interface isn't just a necessity, it's an intrinsic part of the whole process. So, a number of years ago, I created somewhere between 10 and 20 teams, each consisting of around three people. These teams were given free reign to couple a dedicated controller or peripheral with a GameCube title, and then see whether or not the end result was marketable. This project gave rise to not only the Donkey Kong bongos and the Dancing Stage Mario Mix action pad, but to a number of ideas and designs that would find their way into the Wii Remote. Essentially, they are a throw spaghetti on that motherfucking wall company. They have been for years, and it was years and years in the making, this concept for the Wiimote. They went through so many different prototypes. Uh, I know Gyration, um, they... They brought in design firm Bridge Design. They started working on something that would, quote, roughly preserve the existing GameCube button layout. 
They tried to out different designs, quote, through sketches, models, and interviewing various hardcore gamers. Oh, are you talking about the gyropod? <laughs> are you talking yes. about Bridge Design's gyropod, which kind of looked like a uh, DualShock controller, except you could rip off one of the uh, ends, the grips, and use that as kind of a loose Wiimote? Which one had, what was the old school game console that had like the two-part controller that you could connect and remove? Do you know what I'm talking about? It was like some obscure ass one. So like this wasn't necessarily a new concept, the idea of like a controller not just being this basic controller thing. But they had been exploring these options for a long time, including something that would end up looking a lot like the Wii U and the Switch later on. They, They essentially just brought in... A phone and was just like, can we just do this? But with the game video games, can we just do the phone thing that's so popular right now? Because iPhone was like just becoming a thing. Takeda said, Nintendo is a company where you are praised for doing something different from everyone else. In this company, when an individual wants to do something different, everyone else lends their support to help them overcome any hurdles. I think this is how we made the challenge of a of we a possibility. They were also uh, really trying to figure out stuff that took inspiration, like I said, from mobile phones and controllers. They actually even brought in um, automotive navigation systems back when that was a big deal and tried to figure out how do we do this, but again, in a controller. And obviously, you have the touchpad for the DS uh, going on as well. So you you had all this stuff formulating slowly in the background. So it's just very interesting to me that even at this point, what would later become the Switch was also being... Hello, America. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you don't have Consumer Cellular yet, now is the perfect time to switch and save. For a limited time, new customers can get wireless service for as low as $15 a month for your first year. Yep, the same exact nationwide coverage as the leading carriers for $15 a month for an entire year. What are you waiting for? Call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com and use code RADIO15. See ConsumerCellular.com slash FIRSTYEAR15 for promotional details. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free developed one of the things that enabled this was the predominance of uh microelectronic mechanical systems uh known in the industry as mems this involves kind of uh there's a lot of different applications for this uh but it basically boils down to the fact that you take the same kind of fabrication that lets you make teeny tiny circuits and using the same lithography you can actually make little moving machines using those same uh, silicon parts, things like uh, tiny mirrors and optical switches that they use in cameras, to uh, the accelerometer, which became a common car component in the 1980s as the uh, crash detector that deployed the airbags. So these like new chips were available, and it was Nintendo that, like now that they had the official go-ahead and patent to use motion controls for games all of a sudden realized they could like integrate these kind of things into their controllers. And largely this started with Ak- Akio Ikeda, Akio Ikeda, 
I'm so good at pronunciations. Don't you love it? Uh, this was a he was a hardware developer for Nintendo who developed in the past a mobile game called Pocket Pikachu, which uses a pedometer, and Kirby Tilt and Tumble, which was a Game Boy Color game that uses an accelerometer, and went on to create the design for the accelerometer electronics used in the Wii controller. Ikeda said, when playing a game, the nearest thing to the player is the controller. The controller should therefore be regarded as an extension of the player rather than as part of the console, which I think is such a banger comment and and totally rewrote my thinking when it comes to approach to game design, approach to console design. I just think that's such a cool way to think of it. And Ikeda also had the two keywords, simple and comfortable, in mind with his approach. And that's uh, how they, you know, and they've already landed on this wand-shaped design with the nunchuck attachment. This included a motion sensor, infrared pointer, and that button layout that allowed for one to hold it with one hand or two to play more traditional Nintendo games, which again was super brilliant. They're slowly working that out. I am a little sad that they didn't go ahead with the uh, gun by design, which was uh, basically they needed the Wiimote to work in a single to for the pointer to work. If you held it in one hand, you could point to where it was, but they didn't know how to incorporate the all the buttons you need for a standard video game. So the idea was to have this. Uh, war, this Japanese war fan shape, which if you look at photos of it on uh, Wikipedia, the gun by yeah. it's this big iron rod with these butterfly shaped uh, wings on the side. And the idea was you could hold the end of it uh, like a Wiimote. But then when you was time to play a game, you held on to these big ass butterfly things on the side. It would have been a nightmare. It would not have been elegant at all. And uh, the solution of having the port at the bottom, where if you needed more buttons, you could plug in a nunchuck or you could plug in a classic controller, is way more elegant. Because if you handed uh, your uh, poor Grandpa Forsyth uh, the fucking giant butterfly controller, he would not have been able to deal. Also, quick side note, the that cell phone controller they were working with featured both an analog stick and a touchscreen, but eventually it was rejected because, quote, since the portable console and living room console would have been exactly the same, which is totally what the Switch is. <laughs> they totally came back around on that concept of making a portable cons- uh, console that also is a living room stationary console. But either way, uh, you have... Also, um, Kenichiro Ashida designed both the Wii remote and the console and had been working in that field since the SNES. I think that's just like the color, the look, the base, you know, the shape, all that kind of stuff. They had already been working with that wand idea. Miyamoto said, well, back in the days of the SNES, I racked my brains to try and understand how Nintendo products should be designed. We're not a toy maker and we're not a home appliance maker. So what exactly is Nintendo design? We had to overcome the hurdle of how to convince users and game designers who had grown accustomed to traditional interfaces. This was an incredibly difficult hurdle. It's not as though we were trying to pick a fight, but whenever you attempt something new, conservatism will always rear its head amongst those who have grown accustomed to the way things are now. So in a way, this time, uh, Ashita-san and I and all the other people who designed the controller have something to be, uh, have come to be something like comrades in arms. And I even remember the name we was immediately like ridiculed and also just like, what the fuck are they doing? Like, Everything about the launch of this console initially, when you just heard about it and before the hype, was just like, 
whoa, they are just like on another planet right now. Like clearly they're a oh, probably a bit desperate trying to really reach for something new. And and just they, they named it the Wii. Why the fuck would they name it? That's such a weird name. And what now? The controller looks like that? Like everyone just seeing what the controller looked like. I was like so alienated at first by whatever they were trying to throw at me at that at that stage. I mean, the video the console wars had so consumed the especially the Western market that it really was such an insane like swerve. Uh I looked up the Keynote speeches from E3 2006, where they really cemented the Wii for what it was. And like, this was the same year that the PlayStation had uh, the giant enemy crab meme. This was like a lot of brown Uh shooters, a lot of like talk about HD resolutions, polygon pushing. And the Nintendo 2006 uh, keynote speech uh, done masterfully by Reggie I can't pronounce his last name. Philame. Philame is an incredible like hype project. They are like looking the entire audience who are so skeptical of all this and being like, a lot of you have been talking about uh, we I've heard the jokes. They're pretty funny, but let me tell you what it's really about. It's about bringing everyone together. It's about a game console that is there as a part of your life in the living room. It's like, you know, one that consumes less power but provides just as much fun. One that completely changes the experience and relationship to games. How many people in this room uh, has never seen a movie before? How many people do you know has never read a book before? But if I asked you how many people in your life have never played a video game before... You'd be like, oh, I know a couple of people. That's insane. How are we one of the most, are we ever going to be the most emergent, the most immersive, the most dominant form of mass media if, you know, X percent of the human race are never going to pick one up? The we is going to get those people and we're going to get you check out these cool ass games. I love it. I love it. Uh, that that's and we'll talk more about the uh, E3 showing because it is it's almost a historical event, at least in terms of video game history, for sure. And such a huge showing. I, I remember I remember just how quickly this went from being like, what the fuck are they doing to? Oh, my God, I need one yesterday <laughs> with how well that game showed. And, and at an E3, which sadly, I feel like is not as much of a thing as it used to. And I kind of miss what E3 used to be, which is this pivotal, pivotal moment every single year for all, every games company and every de- every developer. But we've uh, done so many episodes where like the do or die moments that defined video game history happened in back rooms at E3 because it was yep. the only time all these people are even in the same building. Yeah, totally. Uh, going back to the controller, I like this quote from Ashita, who said they, uh, I believe the designer. Um, yeah. Uh, I personally felt that the GameCube controller was the culmination of all controllers that had come before it, and that I couldn't be imp- uh, and that it couldn't be improved via the traditional concept of simply adding to it. More than anything else, I felt as though the controller and I were incompatible. Having a family, the time I had to play hard games decreased, and a gap between my creator self and my player self was born. When I then came to understand the Wii concept, I felt strongly that this would be a console that I too could enjoy. More specifically, I felt that it might be time to reconsider the entire gameplay style of grasping the controller with two hands, sitting glued to the TV until morning. Of course, I'm not rejecting that intense style of play, but I did feel that taking the whole idea of grasping the controller with two hands back to the drawing board offered a glimpse 
of the future. And I just love the perspective. It's like not only is Nintendo as a company growing up, but all of its employees are growing older and having kids and understanding how difficult it can be to get into a video game in an older age, especially one that involves a lot of menus and and tutorials and hours and hours of of play, you know? I mean, and so I think that that in itself is what led to them creating this amazing system. Can we talk about the sensor bar, Jay? Can we talk for at length about a sensor bar at this point in the episode, please? All right, assholes. Buckle in and (laughs) choke yourself out, you dumb motherfuckers. You want to know what the fuck's going down? We're going to talk about the sensor bar. So choke yourself out. Choke yourself out. (laughs) Why would you do that? Because the number one thing you got to know about the sensor bar is that it doesn't have any sensors in it. What? Yep. I just blew your mind. Pick yourself off the Go floor. Go fuck yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Strangle yourself to death and write in your own blood that I'm an idiot. <laughs> you dopes. Now let's talk about what it really has in it, you stupid idiot. <laughs> um, the knock, controller- knock. It's fate calling. The sensor bar didn't have sensors in it. Are you going to pick up the phone and answer the door? Uh, the controller communicates with the console via short-range Bluetooth radio and communicates with the sensor bar by infrared with functionality from up to 16 feet away. This is via 10 infrared LEDs, which uh, are really tiny and at the each end of the bar. So there's five on each end. Takeda said, This goes back a little bit, but before the Wii project began, I started to have doubts about what had become the current game standard of exchanging 60 signals per second. For example, if you put a camera on a car moving at high speed and then try to reproduce the images taken by that camera at 60 frames per second, then the whole point of the car moving at high speed is lost. Now, I've also been interested in pointing devices for a uh, in pointing devices for a while. But I've always thought that the tracking would be insufficient and that the pointer would therefore not move as expected if signals are only exchanged 60 times per second. Around that time, a sensor technology was released that could pick up 200 or 300 signals per second. And I felt that we should take a chance on it. If you've to this day, if you ever pick up like an old Wiimote and you just start playing, you know, some at somewhere along the line, someone still has their Wii plugged in and you pick it up. The responsiveness on the pointer on the main menu is really stark. And it's a brilliant solution to a technical problem that the Wii had. The gyrations gyro controls were honestly a little bit finicky and not quite as precise as you needed it to be for kind of uh, things like FPS games and a lot of other things that Nintendo wanted to do with the Wii Mote. Not only that, but the accelerometer that they used had no way of knowing where the base position was. They had, you know, it didn't have a magnetometer, which is uh, the digital compass that you use in your phone for GPS navigation. It didn't have a gyroscope. Uh, that wasn't until Wii Motion Plus. Really, the accelerometer, all it was was this little tiny mass of uh, silicon held together and uh, with all these uh, semiconductor parts that could just kind of register changes in voltage and capacitance as it was moved front and back, up and down and side to side. So by having an IR camera, an actual digital camera in the Wii mode and having the 10 lights on your TV, the remote could always know which way the TV was facing. And from there, it was always aligned 
so that it could know whether you're swinging left and right, up and down, and how far you're deviating from this core central position without any other internal parts, which is brilliant. Uh, the camera itself is uh, very, very low resolution. It's like 128 by like 92. Like you could not get an image out of it, but it was great at keeping track of these two points of infrared light. Infrared light obviously is just low frequency light that is not visible to the human eye, but uh, it would not, they could have made it obviously it's so there isn't just two giant lights sitting at the top of your TV, uh, kind of the same way that the PlayStation move controller is looking for the big dumb globe at the end of the move controller. Uh huh. God, I love the technology in this. It's very, it's very cool. It's also, but it's also this interesting hurdle they have to get over because Ikeda, who was the guy who worked on the accelerometer software, he was the one who was like, no, no, no. If we want this thing to perform how we need it to perform to be like awesome, uh, we have to include this sensor bar, which was definitely obviously a big ask for, in their minds, the consumer. Like, oh, now I also have to put this other thing on top of or uh, uh, below my TV, and what's that going to look like, and what's that going to be like? There's two schools of thought. There's the professionals who would make sure that it was, like, aligned perfectly with the top or bottom of their televisions, and then there was my personal school, which was, it was just fucking sitting on the on the media console, just haphazard. Yeah. Kenichiro Shida said... Its design proved to be more problematic than I ever expected. It wouldn't have been acceptable to simply brush the issue aside by suggesting that it just be placed on top of the TV. After all, and we mentioned this before, flat screen models are becoming the norm. And since they are designed to blend into the overall design of the living room, we had to consider how the sensor bar could be adapted to this. For example, should it be placed above or below the screen? How could we make it so that it could fit with a variety of TVs? What color should it be? I remember taking, taking countless prototypes to Mr. Miyamoto, but they were all rejected. The approach design, they approach design with the consumer that is anal about hiding, with the consumer in mind that is anal about hiding their AV equipment on the TV stand. And honestly, they nailed it. I mean, that is such a subtle little addition to your entertainment situation. And it's quite easy to set up as well. It really is just a very quick to plug and play that thing. A fun fact, though, is really what the Wii is looking for is just two points of infrared light. Uh, a set distance apart from each other so that it can keep track of that and all the other visual information kind of gets filtered out. If you had like a incandescent light nearby, if you had an open window nearby, if you had fluorescent lights flickering overhead, all of those could like be a source of interference. So it was just looking for these two sources of infrared light so it could figure out where its alignment is. And if it that image of the two lights moved up and down in the camera, it know which it could know which way to move the pointer. Um, but you could, in theory, not have a sensor bar and just have two light bulbs or uh, even two lit candles where the sensor bar should be. And the Wiimote was smart enough to like under well, not smart enough. It was dumb enough to just be like, OK, there's the there's the homing point. So the the sensor bar, which, again, no sensors was just a source of light for the camera to track. So we've gotten all the way into this episode at this point. So we have this we. We got it. <laughs> we what have the it. fuck do you do with it? We have barely talked about the making of the actual name of this episode, but again, it goes so hand in hand. But now let's talk about the making of Wii Sports, which really just came out of prototypes 
that they were using to test the hardware. Uh, the producer on the project was Katsuya Iguchi. Hell was, yeah, he's back again, Mr. Animal Crossing. Yep. He thought he was a shy weirdo who had trouble making friends, so he made up a bunch of animal friends to keep him company with his GameCube or N64 disk drive, if I think we're being technically correct. But yep. now he's back and he's helping us waggle. He's got his start as a level designer for Super Mario Bros. 3. He also managed the Software Development Group 2 at Nintendo Entertainment Analysis and Development. Then there's uh, Kaizo Ota, who directed tennis. Yoshikazu Yamashita, who directed baseball and boxing. And lastly, Takayuki Shimamura, who directed golf and bowling. In order to test the Wii Remote, they created prototype software, as I mentioned just now, that included a baseball game and a tennis game, which Yamashita and Ota re created, respectively. This naturally led to the concept of Wii Sports as the game, to get non-gamer and gamers drawn to the console. At Nintendo, as soon as a new hardware device is created, there are software developers that swoop in and create something to test it out with, and that's how this came about. Yamashita saw a lack of baseball software in the prototype stuff floating around. So just was like, hey, all right, they've got golf bowling. Let me do a baseball thing. And of course, also baseball huge in Japan. Uh, so he was like, and, and it's like, oh, no brainer. It's a wand shaped controller. So he jumps on creating that. Golf was a mini game in a different game, which was just a putting game. But because Yamashita and Oda were having success with their sports projects, which was leading to a sports pack of games, this allowed Shimura to develop it further into a full-fledged golf game. From this point, Miyamoto stepped in and essentially coupled these sports games together and separated them from other prototypes. Those other prototypes would go on to be Wii Play games. Which Wii Play has like a little Pong game, a little shooting gallery game, and like a bunch of other little fun little brain puzzles, pool. But Wii Sports, what really differentiates a Wii Sports and a Wii Play thing is um, Wii Play kind of focuses more on the uh, pointer mechanics where you have to like aim and pick things out. Wii Sports, all about swinging. Oh, are we swinging side to side? That's a tennis game. Are we swinging uh, in a semicircle or up and down? That's a baseball. Are we swinging at a downward thing? That's a golf. And uh, are we... Fighting for our lives with gyroscopic boxing controls? That's a boxing. <laughs> so normally they would just take a single one of these games and develop it into its own title with its all different modes and things like that. They also, and I think this is one of the miraculous things that they killed it with. Normally you would expect to see Mario playing golf and tennis and all of these sorts of things. That is the pedigree of Nintendo up until now. But uh, one major difference here was time. They needed to get the game out with the release of the console, and they needed a solid way to demonstrate the different ways a Wii remote could be used. They needed something with different game styles that was simple. So, Awada said, not every game has to be like an encyclopedia. There is nothing wrong with magazines or comics. If the idea is good enough, it's okay to keep it simple. And so they just said, let's put these together. I'll get more into how they came up with the Miis right now. They did not, you know, like I said, no Mario in this game. Oh, and it should also be noted that uh, around this time, especially in Japan, Nintendo had the Touch Generations line, which was uh, the DS had already come out and the DS was doing extremely well. It was doing reasonably well and especially well in Japan. And a lot of that strength was on these casual titles. So like already in Japan, there was adequate branding that these like Touch Generations titles 
were its own breed of fun and they didn't they weren't that worried over the fact that these were just mini games piled together. So in order to get the whole family connected to the game, they decide to literally put them into the game. Then that is by creating avatars instead of, say, going with the Mario player characters they did in the past. Initially, they were going to have it done by taking a photo of the person, but then realized, like, that would just be way too complicated for old grandma. She's like, what? You take a photo and then you what? put it Grandma the- loves formatting SD cards. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Grandma loves nothing better than loading up her photo onto an SD card, making sure it's properly formatted, and transferring it to a home <laughs> Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. Your business was humming, but now you're falling behind. Your teams are buried in manual work, tasks are taking forever to complete, and getting one source of truth is like pulling teeth. If this is you, then you should know these three numbers, 37,000. That's the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. One, because your business is one of a kind. Get a customized solution for all your key performance indicators in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. With NetSuite, it's everything you need to grow, all in one place. Get your business back to the greatness where it belongs. Learn more at netsuite.com slash podcast 25. Console. Now, Miyamoto is the one who came up with putting a Kokeshi version of oneself into the games. Okay, wait, 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 wait. All right, so Miyamoto, famous Nintendo overlord. Cave dweller. uh, Shigeru Miyamoto has had a heart, had a heart on for putting yourself in a video game for since time immemorial. He is a cartoonist at heart and he had his own uh, prototype for the NES that was about creating little cartoon avatars. He uh, managed to get a talent studio created for the Nintendo 64 disk drive that was about making little 3D characters. He had uh, another failed prototype called Debut Stage, where you could, in some ways, uh, add photos of yourself into the system. All of these games had really complicated character creation systems with the explicit purpose of creating yourself and your friends as avatars. And this is spanning decades of iterations and work from Miyamoto as a pet project. And every time he ran into the issue, hey, there's no game here. This is complicated. Also, uh, this is really just, there's no coherent visual style. Uh, you know, in this one, I could make like an American comic book character or an anime character or a simple cartoon character. In this one, I'm making like this very complicated 3D model of myself and it's taking too long to create the character. He just wanted this so bad. And so he settled on the Kokeshi design. A Kokeshi is a Japanese wooden uh, toy, very popular in like craft circles. If you look up a picture of it, it's 
basically just a wooden tube with a little spherical head. That looks just like a me. It looks <laughs> it exactly a like a me. It is exactly looking like a me. Another funny uh, thing I think that goes into why the design is so per- wonderfully simple and therefore so much more accessible was just because at this point, the only people on the team are programmers. There's no designers on the team. So mm-hmm. they're not creating things that necessarily look very like elaborate and elegant and this and that they're just creating the simplest concept they can, which ended up being the best one for this situation. So that grandma could easily be like, I've got gray hair and my eyes are too big. And all right, let's start playing tennis. You know what I mean? So a team within Nintendo that was completely out of Miyamoto's uh, purview was working on yet another make your friends drawing like character creator game for the DS as a prototype. And it was very similar to the Me channel, as we now know it. And Miyamoto saw this and was like, you fuckers belong to me now. And he transferred <laughs> them over to his department and they loved it. And the, one of the biggest things that made it work was the style was completely standardized. There was no weird like deviations or different styles you could choose from. It was very simple. And they allowed you to move the characters, uh, the the eyes, the nose, the cheeks, all these things to just make slight adjustments to make them bigger or smaller or move them left and right. And that was like the magic number that allowed anyone to make a facsimile of themselves using these simple parts. Because like previously you'd be like, well, there's only eight nose choices and none of them really look like mine. But the brilliance of the me channel was like, no, you just move the nose a little bit up, widen out a little bit. And all of a sudden, oh, fuck, that's me. You also said the Me Channel, and this is because as they were developing this concept for Wii Sports, they were like, wait, this is actually bigger than Wii Sports. This is fundamental to the whole console experience, and that's why they created the Me Channel. But also, it worked so well for Me Sports and all the other games like it, because the whole point was they were trying to make you feel like you were really in the game with those motion controls. And so instead of Mario, which made you feel just a little step more distant from being in the game, they said, why don't we just actually put a version of the person in there, and that just first further adds to that connection of you really feel like you're a part of like connected to the video game experience. So, so they have this me thing. They've got the hardware in a pretty decent spot. They've got a, the basic foundation of Wii sports. I don't even think they have bowling at this point um, and whatnot boxing. I don't even think they have at this point uh, bowling and boxing. I, you probably have a quote about it, but at a certain point they realized that like, Baseball and golf and tennis are actually a little bit like, ex- you know, they're not as globally regarded as Europeans. Like, yeah, yeah. They, 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 they were like, this isn't really none of these are big European sports, uh, except for maybe what tennis. But so they, they ended up adding them in before that, though, I want to say uh, this is around when they get to 2006 E3. And I just want to throw a couple more really choice uh, quotes and descriptions of that time. It was such a big deal. Um, Satoru Iwata introduced Wii Sports to the world at E3 in 2006. It only at that time had tennis, golf, and baseball, as I said. Um, Reggie, of course, gets up there. He does the onstage demo. He, they, he plays doubles, a doubles tennis match with Iwata uh, against uh, Miyamoto and Scott Dyer, the winner of a contest. Good uh, for can- Scott. Ikeda said, by the time it finished, I was close to tears. I'm a little embarrassed to say this in front of you guys, but I was overflowing with emotion. And even after that, I thought I was going to cry again when I saw how much everyone enjoyed using the controller. Uh, Baseball at that point is just a batting simulation. 
there's also another game called Airplane, which is like Pilot Wings, where the player was moving an airplane through rings. This is later included in Wii Sports Resort. Yamashita said, During E3, games with unbelievable graphics using an incredible number of polygons were lined up in the surrounding booths, and I could barely contain my excitement just thinking about putting Wii Sports next to them, which I, th- I love that quote. Just being thrilled. You're like, yeah, you're all going for this one fucking thing, and you're all going to die competing with each other, and we have something completely different and unique and special. Shimamura said, When I was standing next to the demo stations and watching visitors were- play... Do you remember how many times people have fallen on their ass at E3 unveiling new technology like yeah. the Connect, like yeah. even the Wii U at a certain point got like Wii Music, dear yeah. God. Wii Music, yeah, that's a good one to look up. But they fucking, they pulled it off. Jesus. Completely nailed it so hard. Shimamura said, when I was standing next to the demo stations and watching visitors play Wii Sports Baseball, they were giving each other advice such as keep your elbows down when you swing. Of course, this itself has nothing to do with the game, but since it's easier to swing naturally and get the timing right if you have good form, I think it actually made, makes it easier to hit the ball in the game. Seeing this kind of interaction, I was able to imagine parents and their children having the same conversation. And they also noted that those who played the sports before were naturally better than those who weren't, which led to a situation where a father who played tennis could beat his son in the game who was an avid gamer for the first time ever. Like, you know, avid gamers were getting their asses handed to them by people who were never played video games because of this. Uh, Shimamura also had this to say. I love this quote. Uh, There was an American who had probably spent the whole day walking around E3 and after playing Wii Sports Baseball suddenly turned to me and said excitedly, I've seen a lot of games with realistic graphics, but this is the most realistic thing at E3 this year. This is actually real. And I wasn't even wearing a uniform or displaying an exhibitor's pass. I was just there as a normal visitor. And then this is my last quote from Ashida. I spent all of E3 at Nintendo's exhibition corner and I've never I've never witnessed at previous E3s anything like the excitement I saw there at the Nintendo booth. So the magical thing about Wii Sports is the fact that, yes, on a basic beginner level in a multiplayer game, you can just swing the remote and it like the tennis thing will connect nine times out of ten as long as you have your timing down. And it's a timing that you already know if you've played tennis before or, you know, the timing to hit the ball in baseball is relatively similar to the kind of timing you have to develop when you play Little League. So these old skills, these kind of unconscious muscle memory skills are brought back. And so it's very intuitive. But to master it actually requires practice, actually requires a level of skill. Um, the Wii Remote, using the accelerometer, the it always knows which way is down because gravity is always pulling on at least one side of the remote and which side is always experiencing that one G of force, the remote knows it's down. So you can tilt it and put a little topspin on your tennis ball. You can, uh, you know, slice your golf swing and you actually have to like discipline yourself to play it right. And that escalating difficulty gives it an insane amount of depth. If it was as easy as just wiggle waggling, you wouldn't be able to get a strike every time in Wii Bowling. You wouldn't get gutter balls. But the fact is, is that there is so much complexity in its simplicity, way more so than like a seemingly innocuous minigame. 
I have a great quote from Oda on this. You could probably say it's impossible to hit the same shot twice. As the data picked up by the Wii concerning how you moved your wrist and the angle you turned to the controller is all analog. If you hit the ball 100 times, that action is going to be reflected on the screen in 100 different ways. And this is from Shimamura on bowling. I think the easiest way to get you to grasp the depth of this game is by telling you one single fact. In all of the endless testing which Nintendo has done on this game, no one has ever achieved a perfect score in bowling. Which is, and it's so true, and I, I always wa- wanted to obtain a perfect score in bowling, and I tried so hard to do so. Then you also add in all those fucking mini games and all that training, all those training games, like the 100-pin game mm-hmm. in bowling, and that, that, that adds a whole other layer of just shit to do for hours on end. So this gets me to the story of Matt the Me. <laughs> Around tw- 2018, I started seeing all these memes show up. I was still working at Dorkly, so it was it was, I, it was my job to keep my pulse on the fingers on the pulse of the me- of the memosphere. And all of these things started showing up with this uh, character named Matt, who is a bald black man with low set, heavy eyebrows and a goatee. And a kind of like, I don't know how else to call it besides an uwu face smile. That kind of like W-shaped smile. And people were talking about him like he was the video game equivalent of Chuck Norris. There was things like, right before you die, in order to get to heaven, you have to fight this guy. And it's a picture of (laughs) Matt the Me. And I was trying to figure out why this was such a big deal. Until I realized, uh, by Googling it, that... (laughs) Matt is the quote unquote final boss of me boxing. Ah. And boxing was a later stage uh, addition to the system. It requires the nunchuck. Yeah, just they needed something that used the nunchuck to show off that that element. Uh, The nunchuck has its own separate gyroscope in it, so it knows which way it's being leaned, it knows when it's being thrust forward. And so. More so than I think any other game, because the confrontational nature of boxing. You can lose and, you know, you have to make sure you're leaning the right way to dodge punches. You have to make sure you're holding it up or down to, like, guard your body or your face. Uh, You have to, like, do combos. It's actually a very involved process to play this game. You kind of have to be keyed in, especially hard. And so as you play single player, the game gets harder and harder and harder until... Just like uh, fighting Mike Tyson in Punch-Out for the first time where you're just immediately KO'd, Matt shows up as the champion with silver glistening boxing gloves. And he has kicked more asses than any other figure in Gen Z gaming. This is the Dark Souls of Wii Sports, is Matt the Me. And um, not only that, the closest thing this game has to a plot can be found with Matt because he's the guy training you in the training mini games where you learn how to like dodge and do combos and aim your punches right. And people have gone in to the game code and like looked up the textures of the background file of the background objects during the training session. And there's like photos of Matt as like the champion photos of him training with other me's that you fought earlier in the game. There's an entire, like there's very little lore in Wii sports, but it's all (laughs) tied into Matt. And so I just want to say to anybody out there who has beaten Matt in Wii Sports Boxing, you are a champion. You are powerful. And please don't kill me with your mind because you're probably (laughs) omnipotent. 
Uh, I also, my favorite piece of trivia about Wii Sports is that for the golf game, they actually took their favorite nine holes from the original NES golf game and put them into Wii Sports Golf uh, as the uh, for the course. And I think that's super cool. And also, of course, fine-tuned their approach to swing so that the true swing of the player comes through in the game and that you can uh, screw that up easily and all that good stuff. Man, Wii Sports rules, uh, fantastic shit. Before you take it home, Holden, because I know you're backing up the car. I can hear it. You've opened the beep, garage door. Beep, you're beep. ready. You already. I still have to talk about Wii Sports Resort and Wii Sports Club. But yes, I am moving into the final death throes of this episode. Oh! As of this recording, Wii Sports is officially ranked on Wikipedia as the officially on Wikipedia. I love that I just tried to save my ass with that. Um, as the number four highest selling game in video game history at 82,900,000 copies, uh, beaten by Tetris, Grand Theft Auto V, and Minecraft. Uh, Minecraft having hit the 200 million mark. But it should be noted, Wii Sports is the only single platform title. And I know a lot of people are going to be like, well, that doesn't count. It's because it was a pack-in game. It was a pack-in game in North America and Europe. In Japan, it was its own uh, standalone title. Not only that, that, you know, the Wii has been sold in various different SKUs, and not every version was sold with Wii Sports. The Wii, according to Wikipedia, sold 101.63 million devices which leaves 18.7 million copies of Wii Sports physically sold or digitally sold in the world, which means it beats Grand Theft Auto Vice City, it beats Pokemon X and Y, it beats Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare, it beats this, did I say The Sims already? It beats <laughs> Diablo 3. So it still stands tall as one of the best-selling games of all time, with or without the pack-in thing. And again, uh, Minecraft is available on literally anything with a CPU on it. Tetris can be played on a graphing calculator. Grand Theft Auto V has been the best-selling game across three different generations of video games at this point. So the fact that Wii Sports stands alone is impressive, and you'd best respect it. Yeah, respect, motherfuckers. Or I'm gonna, oh, I'm gonna slice it. Why are we so violent on this episode? It makes no sense. Because it's Wii Sports and we still have a chip on our shoulder <laughs> on it being a baby console. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All you told somebody to, later. I'm telling them, threatening people, I'm gonna cut them up and stuff. You're saying, choke yourself out. I don't know what's going on today. But Grab anyway, your left mood. wrist, wrap <laughs> it around your neck, pull from the opposite elbow, and just don't stop till you're on the floor. I'm in an awesome mood today. I have no idea why I want everybody to harm themselves, but I do. Uh, either way, in 2009, Nintendo released Wii Sports Resort, which included swordplay, wakeboarding, frisbee, archery, basketball, table tennis, power cruising, canoeing, cycling, and air sports, along with golf and bowling. Uh, and also it was one of the first titles to require the Wii Motion Plus accessory, which came with the, uh, the game and allowed for more complex motion in the Wii remote. Uh, and then there's, of course, Wii Sports Club, which is just an HD remake of OG Wii Sports that was released on the Wii U, but should be mentioned. Um, yeah, and then I have some banger final quotes. Jake, do you have anything you want to say before I bang out these banging quotes with my bang-bang gun? 
uh, I just want to shout out uh, Kazumi Totaka, the composer on Wii Sports, as well as the Me channel, as well as a lot of uh, kind of incidental music. Yeah, yeah. Well, please talk about the music. It's so important. He's uh, famous, obviously, for being the inspiration for K.K. Slider um, in uh, Animal Crossing. But the reason why the Wii Shop channel, uh, the Me channel music, and the Wii Sports theme are now iconic memes is because of Totaka's unique combination of fusion jazz, easy listening, and synth sounds that is completely singular to the point where um, I want to say, honest, on okay, Mary, if you can, I don't know how, I, ooh, if you can play just a little bit of Gabriel Gundacker's fake Wii Sports song for <laughs> croquet or volleyball, uh, it has become its own meme genre of music. Wii Sports is its own musical soundscape at this point. You know, people always ask me, hey Gabe, if there was a Wii Croquet included in Wii Sports, what would the soundtrack sound like? And then, so I wrote it. So here is a quote from Ota, and then I also have a quote from Iwata to wrap this stuff up. I think perfectly brings it all together, sums it all up. Everyone had confidence in these games, but for me, that confidence wasn't about getting people around the world to play them. For me, it meant that I felt sure I could get my family to play these games. Even my wife, who never plays games, or my daughter, who is still in preschool and doesn't have good hand-eye coordination yet, or perhaps even my wife's friends and their husbands. You know, before you have a family of your own, you end up spending most of your time with people who have similar interests as yourself, and this tends to limit the group of people you make games for. But once you have a family, you end up meeting new people that don't necessarily share the same interests as you. Before I had a family, I was always thinking of people similar to myself when I made games. But now I have a strong urge to make games that will also be liked by these new people around me, people that don't normally play games. In fact, the name Wii comes from just the concept of we. We play games together. And the two eyes are represent two people standing next to each other, something I never knew. Those two eyes actually uh, also look a hell of a lot like me's they do. <laughs> as well. Uh, and here's the last quote for me. That how the amount of like, oh, we what a weird name. I yeah. don't like it. And then the first time I saw the commercial and they had the little eyes like bow in a friendly thing, I was like, never mind. I love it. <laughs> and uh, the final quote from Iwata, I believe that a collection of games like this is truly groundbreaking. It's not a single lavish standalone game. Neither is it a com compilation of 100 different minigames. It has no official licenses or endorsements, nor are there any famous people featured in it. It lives up to the initial concept of offering a revolutionary control method, a brand new type of game. Moreover, it contains five different games, all of which have been individually designed so the player never tires of them. I don't think there has ever been a collection of games quite like this. And I don't, I don't, I agree. I don't think so either. And uh, I miss those times, uh, you know, especially at a time when we're all so separate from each other. Um, the idea of all coming together to play uh, Wii Sports is, uh, I get wispy for it, you know. Absolutely. So hopefully we can all play some Wii Sports uh, at some point in the future. What am I talking about? Everybody's Wii is boxed up in the attic somewhere. But you know what I mean. Holden, you have a Wii U and you actively choose not to play it. <laughs> I do. I super do. Uh, either way, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. And we greatly appreciate uh, your support. A lot of love coming in from those Spotify year-end wrapped 
things, uh, which has been pretty amazing to see all the people who it's one of their top podcasts they listen to this year. Thank you so much uh, for everything you do. If you'd like to support us more, by everything you do, I mean by listening. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to our podcast and everything else you do, I guess. Unless what you do is bad and hurtful to other people. Honestly, just like how the we appeal to people that you wouldn't think uh, would appreciate a video game. Uh, so, too, did this episode of our podcast probably appeal to people who wouldn't normally listen to a geek history podcast. So maybe <laughs> edit out all the parts where we demanded that you hurt yourself <laughs> and share this episode with someone you love. <laughs> um, also, if you want to support us further, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew the five dollar layer you get uh a weekly bonus episodes five dollars a month fifteen dollars a month you join us on sunday for our sunday study sessions and our special discord honestly if you're curious it is a fantastic group of people that we have in there thus far and a really fun you know hour and a half generally hang hang sesh at 5 p.m et on sundays either way though check it out patreon.com forward slash whizbrew and yeah Thank you so much. Uh, Twitch.tv forward slash uh, Holdenators Ho. If you want to check me out on Twitch, I stream Monday, Tuesday, and Friday nights. You may want to check out our Among Us nights. We're having huge turnouts for that. Jake, I got to get you in on one of those, by the way. I would love uh, I to have watched, you. I watched the one this week. Uh, <laughs> it was fascinating. I'm yes. in. I'm it's in. so fun. So we'll we'll try to get I you in on that. I just bought a big bottle of tequila, so I'm ready. Yeah, you must be drunk for those. It is literally a group of friends screaming at each other. That's why it's so fun. And, uh, hey, uh, Jake! Uh, follow me on Twitter, at BestJakeYoung, to see jokes and pictures of birds. I post a lot of pictures of birds nowadays. They're really great birds. You gotta you check do. it out. We got blue jays, cardinals, tufted titmice, white-throated sparrows. Uh, a house- homeless man dressed as a bird, which I thought was a weird move. It seems that way, but the unique markings of the common house finch actually makes it look like a homeless man. <laughs> and yeah, you really got to check out that Patreon, folks. It's so much bonus content. So many episodes. Just, mm, you'll never get bored. And always remember, brush your teeth, but also keep on whizzing. And never stop bruising. Mary, can you take us home with a little bit of Wii Tennis by Splash Daddy? Playing tennis on the Wii. Watch me fucking get it You will see, ayy You will see Playing tennis on the Wii Pull up and Corolla Purple drink, but it's soda Suck it up, just let this shit be a pagoda Bitch, I sense your fakeness like a motherfucking Yoda Like I'm Yoda, ayy, yeah, like I'm Yoda Pull up and Corolla Purple drink, but it's soda Suck it up, just like this shippy pagoda. Bitch, I sense your fakeness like a motherfucking Yoda. Like I'm Yoda, ayy, yeah, like I'm Yoda. I can't fuck with you cause you don't fuck with me, ayy. You and your crew full of jealousy, ayy. I be so hot, hot just like some tea, ayy. Feeling like the best playing tennis on the weed. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Your business was humming, but now you're falling behind. Your teams are buried in manual work, tasks are taking forever to complete, and getting one source of truth is like pulling teeth. If this is you, then you should know these three numbers, 37,000. 
That's the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. One. Because your business is one of a kind. Get a customized solution for all your key performance indicators in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. With NetSuite, it's everything you need to grow, all in one place. Get your business back to the greatness where it belongs. Learn more at netsuite.com slash podcast 25. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. (laughs) 